We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Candlestick Chronicles. I'm Chris Biederman. Kyle Madsen is out doing his job. Uh, I don't know if he's mentioned this before, but he works at a radio station in San Francisco. Um, but we had a very special guest today. It's Guy Haberman of the Haberman and Middlecoff podcast, also YouTube channel. Um, he made a uh, special appearance at 49ers OTAs this week. So we spoke to him about that, his takeaways, the Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance looming quarterback battle, the idea of adding Julio Jones and all the different variables to factor into that, and also a uh, an interesting discussion about sports media and just how um, Guy and, and John Middlecoff have carved out a, a very uh, interesting niche and a successful niche as they've both been doing this for uh, the last decade. So thanks for listening. Subscribe, rate, and review. And uh, we'll hear from Guy Haberman after the break. Blue Wire. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. Chris, it's great to have you, man. Welcome. <laughs> I'm supposed to do the intro, guys. Oh, it's your I, show. I know you're. I know it's it's a new thing for you being a guest on on somebody else's. But uh, guys, uh, I'm joined. Very happy to be joined by by Guy Haberman, um, formerly of 95.7 The Game. The first time we actually met, God, it had to be like 12 years ago at least in the press box at Rayleigh Field. I think you were you were subbing for the great Johnny Dosco at a Rivercats game. Um, and we had met through Zach Bash when he was working PR there. Maybe it was Jimmy Spencer. I I don't I sub I don't remember subbing for Johnny, but that Did you sub for somebody else in Sacramento? Well, I mean, if it was anybody, it would have been Johnny. Johnny Dosco, the voice of the Rivercats, the first person to ever listen to my tape when I was in high school. <laughs> A legend. Uh, Davis High, legend. Unbelievable guy. Like, the greatest guy. Yeah. I did the Fresno Grizzlies for three years with Doug Greenwald. 
Maybe that's what it was. Maybe you're visiting with the Grizzlies. So maybe we were up there, or yeah. maybe I was just visiting Johnny. What year do you think it was? Oh, yeah, man. I mean, I was in college, so it had to be like 2007 or 2008, maybe. Oh, God, did I fill in for Johnny? I didn't think that I. I don't think I have. Okay, it might have been when you were with the Grizzlies then. Yeah, maybe that's probably what it was. But you also, when you were on 95.7, I think early on, you took a big risk by having me as a guest. Um, and it was my first ever radio spot. And I was nervous as hell. And I remembered you you calmed my nerves by being like, all right, we won't do it live. We'll We'll record it beforehand. And I think that gave you a little bit of comfort knowing that, man, if he if he really shits the bed here, we just don't even have to use it. <laughs> So, Which I've never, I tell people that, like, oh, don't worry, we'll just record it. But it's like, once you record an interview, you're like, I'm not just throwing 15 minutes in the trash can. Like, right, I can play that right. back. Because that was probably on the night show, right? Sure, yeah. So it was probably on the night show. So that would have been like 2013. Mm-hmm. Is, was that line up? Yeah, that was right yeah. when I, right, that was the first year I started covering before. So, you know, I'm you're doing four hours a night solo from 7 to 11 p.m. Yeah. Unless there's an A's game. You are not throwing any recorded interview away. I we probably went if all if all went well, we probably went for like eighteen minutes and yeah, played it in two chunks back. Yeah, yeah. which really honestly in that spot, like having it be recorded is almost worse because then you know there's a safety net. You should never sure. should avoid sure. that if you can. But I, I remember I, just, I do I remember that. Yeah, I remember being really awkward and uh, but it was it was really my first sort of you know, public speaking about football. And now I have, you know, now I have a podcast and it's been a decade later. So I'll never, I'll never forget that. And I do want to thank you for that. But the reason why you're here is because you made a, uh, you made a cameo at 49ers OTAs. Whoa, there've been two. I was at one. It's not a cameo. I'm a regular. Okay. You're a regular. (laughs) Uh, You you made an appearance at 49ers OTAs. Um, and you and you and John Middlecoff do an excellent job with with the ham podcast and the YouTube channel, which I'm always watching because you guys have have a fresh perspective. And um, I think you do a really good job creating, you know, a relatable perspective for fans, but also sort of um, offering an expert's take. John being a former um, a former scout with the Eagles and and working with, with Fresno state and all of that. So I really enjoy your content. Everybody listening should, should definitely check out uh, ham if you guys don't already, but I want to talk to you about what your observations were from OTAs. And if you really are able to make any significant observations and maybe just about the 49ers off season in general. So I'll start with an easy one or a broad one. What'd you think of Trey Lance? Yeah, I thought he looked the way you want a guy drafted third overall to look. Um, I, I, I mean, the, the coaches go back and watch the film of it, right? They go back and study what they did. The coaches put in a lot of effort. So there's stuff that happens that's worth something. Now, it might just be, in all likelihood, a lot of the stuff that happens is just a piece of the larger puzzle, right? It's You can't assign too much value to the stuff that happens. It's all part of the two. And I, I use this not because it's something the Niners have used a few years ago. I just think it's a good way to talk about things. It's just one of the bricks, like an individual brick, uh, maybe may not be spectacular on its own, but combined with other bricks, you can, you can build something if you know what you're doing. And, you know, so um, I, I've been to a million of those versions of that, whether it's, you know, college spring football or whatever, a lot of people have, <clears throat> if you're a high school coach or you played in high school, you know, that all those things over time can add up to something. And there are plenty of players 
Um, and it applies to any position. It applies over the years going to baseball games. There are guys that look the part, quote unquote, that are not good enough, right? So you try not to put too much stock. But, you know, there were things that I, I thought there was one thing that um, the Trey did in particular that stood out to me in seven on seven. He he threw the hardest pass I've seen him throw. Um, even, you know, I'm sure if we went back, I'm in the midst of cutting up a bunch of his college stuff for something we're going to do later. Um, and I don't think I've seen him. I have, I'll have to go back through. I don't think I've seen him throw a ball as hard as he tried to throw a ball in seven on seven um, on Tuesday, uh, Wednesday. But uh, it was an incompletion. But it was just knowing that he ha- he was trying to fit a ball into a tight window. And so he tried to, you know, he tried to speed it up. And he did. And the pass was broken up. I think. I don't think it was picked. It was hard to tell because there's a wall of players, but I'm pretty right. sure the ball was. Do you remember the play I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. It was tough for me to see. So to set the scene, there, there are two fields. Um, the 49ers have two. They're not full length. I think they're like 80 yards or 70 yard fields with end zones on, on one side. But with the setup now, because we're still not allowed in the facility, Um, The media members are all on the very far end of the field. So the Niners were practicing on the field field opposite where we were standing. And then when they're doing their full team drills, there's also a wall of players, as Guy mentioned, on the sideline. So we we're kind of limited in what we can see when they're practicing on that far end. And I, I do think some of that is kind of deliberate. By, by the coaching staff and Kyle Shanahan when particularly when media members are there so we don't get the best look at what's happening but so it is a little bit difficult to to make takeaways from OTAs and obviously you know not being padded not being um not being full contact there's a, a healthy amount of contact I think there's more contact than people might realize even during OTAs it's funny to see the rules say like no live contact, but it's like, no, these guys are definitely like thudding up. Um, there's definitely an element of that, but just, yeah, for, for me with Trey Lance, it's, you know, the, the interesting thing with him is I think, you know, there are a lot of check downs, so you could tell he's going through reads and I think he does a good job of, of tying his feet to his eyes. You know, you can see he's not, he's, he looks under control and it looks like generally he's getting the ball to the right place. And then there will be some times where, you know, everybody's covered and then he'll roll out and make plays. And that's when it's like, oh, this guy's like a really good athlete. And some of that stuff that you saw him do at North Dakota State kind of pops in a way that it doesn't with Jimmy Garoppolo. And Jimmy Garoppolo can move and throw on the run a little bit. But, you know, that's really what stands out from Trey Lance to Jimmy, I think, right now is just the athleticism. And I think the missing pieces are going to fill in once we start to see him in training camp, taking those live bullets against actual defenses. Um, but just in, in terms of, you know, how, how would you compare what you saw just whatever hour and 20 minute practice between Jimmy and Trey? Um, and, and how do you think that quarterback battle is going to shape up once training camp gets here at the end of July? So can I, I just want to uh, respond to something else you said before I answer that question. Sure. To your point on the level of physicality, yeah, Muhammad Sanu or Jawan Jennings is running over the middle free of the fear that they're going to get hit. Right. But for offensive linemen and defensive linemen, guys are going down. Yeah. I don't mean going down, getting hurt. I just mean, right, so many of those injuries happen with uh, five 
So figure what, like 10 to 11 to 12 big guys running into each other, falling down around each other's legs and ankles and knees. And yeah, they're still so that's the part. Yeah, they're still blocking and guys still end up on the ground <clears throat> and then kind of protecting themselves and other guys are trying to avoid. So there is definitely still it's not risk free, no doubt. And even running backs, well, they're not getting hit to the ground like people are still trying to pull the ball out. And so they're getting punched in the arm and punched in the stomach and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I think. From there weren't all, there's not a lot of opportunities where Lance even runs. There were a couple on Wednesday where he would roll out after what probably would be, you know, he'd really probably tuck the ball away and run or get sacked and he would throw the ball away. And you got to see a little of that. But to me, the number one thing was just the velocity of when he tries, when he wants to throw 98, he can throw 98. And I made the comment to Middlecoff on the podcast yesterday, the, the, um, there was the vid- did you see the video a couple, I don't know, maybe it was three weeks ago, a month ago, Warren Sharp put together, I think it was Warren Sharp, like the 18 or 20 interceptable balls from Josh Allen that were not intercepted. No, I didn't. I, I, I saw you mention it, though. <clears throat> and I watched it, and when I clicked the link, I thought, like, okay, yeah, right. And then you watch it, and you think, no, that, yeah, there was 20 balls that should have been picked. But, you know, the beaut- not all interceptable balls are created equal. Some are easier to catch than others. And so that's my point on Trey Lance is he, he does have the ability to ratchet it up, and not everybody has that, you know. Garoppolo cannot ratchet it up to the degree that, that he did. Now, the other part of it, and I was hoping in person to get a better sense of this, it's hard using your thumb as a stopwatch, is just release times. To yeah. my eye, Jimmy still gets rid of the ball quicker. He hits his back foot and the ball's out. You know, you really, the best time to look at it is when they're throwing at the same, simultaneously side by side, but they're not always throwing the same route. So mm-hmm. even, you know, even in that scenario, it's not exactly perfect. But it happened a couple of times where they both kind of hit the back foot. Both were throwing a route of the same depth and the ball comes out a little quicker from Garoppolo. So I, you know, that's not nothing like, and I think that's one of Jimmy's strengths is just in terms of his physical release time. It's pretty quick. Like the second he got to the Niners and we started watching him a lot. I don't know if you agree, but it was the Brady influence. It's clear when you just watch his mechanics, right? You can see Tom and his mechanics. And so that's a strength of his, right? If he gets rid of the ball immediately, I do think he'll probably initially be getting rid of the ball quicker than Trey, even if Trey knows where he's going with it, just based on the physicality of the way they throw the football. But this whole thing's a sliding scale. What does Garoppolo give you? How much of that does Trey Lance give you versus what does Trey Lance give you that Garoppolo doesn't give you? And so, you know, I think there's going to be an interesting balance once the preseason comes. What do you do with Trey? How do you, you'd love to play him a ton, but, you're not playing McGlinchey and Trent Williams and Alex Mankaton. So how comfortable are you with, uh, with him in those situations, but that's going to be kind of his time to shine. Yeah. And, and another thing too, is it, it's very clear that Jimmy Garoppolo is running the show right now. Like Jimmy yeah. Garoppolo is still a team captain, or at least, you know, he was voted a team captain in the last couple of years. Um, he's very much the leader of the quarterback group. And that's apparent when you're watching the drills, he's, yeah, he's setting the tone. He's still that guy while Trey Lance is still feeling things out. And that's not to say Trey Lance, you know, I, I, I don't think that's an indication that Trey Lance can't overtake Jimmy Garoppolo for the starting job sooner rather than later, but it's just an interest, interesting observation. It does seem like it's a healthy dynamic. 
I know there's been a lot out there about, wow, Jimmy Garoppolo's leadership qualities in this awkward situation, you know, that's really shining through and he's handling it really well. Personally, I think it's way too soon to to make any judgments like that. Like it's been, what, three, three, four weeks um, that Trey Lance has been in the building. And, you know, we we, there's going to be plenty of time for that relationship to develop uh, and either get stronger or sour, depending on what happens. You know, it like it can be a very political, um, you know, situation when when it comes to roster battles like that. So I'm a little bit dubious when I when I do see. Um, a lot of people praise Jimmy Garoppolo for, I guess, his leadership in, in handling the situation. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo's a, a very highly paid guy, and I don't know that he's necessarily operating all that differently right now than he would be normally if they didn't draft somebody else. Yeah, I think the um, difference would be just what, what kind of internal pressure does he feel, but I think you're right. right. So much of that is unseen, right? right? A cold shoulder in a meeting room, uh, pretending not to hear a comment, um, just general engagement, things that you feel when you're really in it, but you, things that you don't necessarily even pick up if you're watching it occur in passing. It's not always an eye roll, right? It's, it's, we love to see the video of the guy whispering in the girl's ear in a bar and she's rolling her eyes and like <laughs> making a face and like, yeah, that's obvious, but most interactions are not obvious like that. Right. Um, now to your point, like <clears throat> just to paint the picture of what we get to see or what, and you, you've, you know, obviously I'm joking when I say I'm not parachuting and I did parachute in the other day, uh, <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, what, what does that actually look like? What we're talking about? Like, you know, one example would be when they start a drill, it's Jimmy that kind of, if there's going to be a stationary receiver tells that person where to stand. Right. That was like right. when they were throwing deep, that's when I noticed, right. Garoppolo's like, no, no, move over, move up, come back this way, stand over there. Okay. That's where we're throwing. Um, is that what you're talking about when you're talking about just the things you can observe in practice? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's just, you know, there's not, there, there isn't any, like, you know, we mentioned what those dynamics might look like. Like it's not, it's not Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau, right? Like, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like there's none of that. So, so, you know, I think Trey Lance, even though he's only 21, pretty mature guy handling, handling the situation well, doing well seemingly not to step on Garoppolo's toes and then it's it's also Garoppolo you know there there's an element of Garoppolo his situation in that it behooves him to handle this professionally and not um, like he's going to get unseated at some point and if he goes out kicking and screaming then that's going to make it harder for him to get that next contract potentially find a good landing spot where he could be a starting quarterback and sort of um, you know, resume his path to whatever uh, whatever status he's going to have as a starting quarterback in this league. It's just clearly not going to be with the 49ers beyond this season. I, I asked you and Middlecoff yesterday at, at practice, I've sort of set the over-under for Trey Lance becoming the starter um, by, the, by the bye week. I think, you know, going into the season before the schedule came out, I was like, well, five and a half, six games, um, would make a lot of sense if you're setting that over under and then the buy happens to fall in week six. Um, so where do you stand on, on just when you think Trey Lance will take over the starting job? And is, is that by week a, uh, a fair assessment in your opinion? Well, I mean, it's, it's, you know, the bye week thing is if you really go into it 
to me, the bye week makes the most sense if you're really going in with a plan of succession, kind of like the Dolphins did last year, it seemed right with Fitzpatrick, mm-hmm. where no matter how they were playing, it felt like, you know, at a time, especially before we realized the Dolphins were really good, um, that they had had this plan of what to do. And then the plan, I don't know if you accept that premise or not, but the plan didn't, it got really weird because, you know, Tua wasn't great. And then they were, they were actually competitive. And then Fitzpatrick was actually good and they started winning games and then they were like oh well we're a playoff team i think it's harder to do that with this situation um because if you hit the let's say you hit the bye at week six and garoppolo's played well and you're four and two i guess you'd be yeah four and two let's say garoppolo's been good not let's say he's been pretty good not great let's say he's been like he was the super bowl year can you replace him if you're four and two heading into the bye for Sunday night football against the Indianapolis Colts at home? Yeah. I mean, probably not. I mean, unless it's hard. I mean, is he really good? And is he fantastic in practice? Maybe he is, but that's tough. Yeah. That's, that's tough. When your number one goal is we got to let's go make the playoffs, which is really, you know, what they have to do. They, this team, anything less than the playoffs is going to be a failure this year. Oh, even absolutely. if even if it's four weeks in, Garoppolo's not good. Okay, it's Trey Lance time. Let's see what Trey's got. And then you come out of the year with some promise, you know, Chargers situation. But you don't make the playoffs. I you'd feel good about Trey Lance, but that's that's just a failure. So I really do understand if we hit the bye and Garoppolo's playing well and they're winning, I think it's gonna be really hard to replace him. Really hard. Yeah, I, I agree with that. The interesting thing about it, too, is is Garoppolo has generally been a guy who plays better in like November and December. Um, and he's been you a know, slow like, starter. Yeah, a little bit of a slow starter. Like 2019, obviously not great in his first preseason game, got a little bit in a rhythm in that in that uh, second or third preseason game against the Chiefs. Didn't play well in the opener against the Bucks in 2019. Did play well against Cincinnati, but then wasn't particularly good against the Steelers. Like, you can go through, mm-hmm. and a lot of his best performances, even going back to 2017, were like November and December. Yeah. So is and his Garopp- first start in 2020 was not good. Right, right. And, and some of that was, you know, he's throwing to Trent Taylor and Dante Pettis, who were no longer around, too. But he also got George Kittle hurt in that game with a bad yeah. throw. But... I wonder how Kyle Shanahan's going to look at it. Like what's, what's the leash going to look like and how is the money going to factor in? Because the cap space isn't really an issue unless you're really trying to factor in how you can allocate that money for all the extensions you have coming up, including Fred Warner, potentially Nick Bosa, some of the other guys. um, If you trade for Julio Jones, which we can talk about next. Um, You know, so I just, it's, I would love to get the truth from Kyle Shanahan because I don't think, you know, Kyle Shanahan's a pretty honest guy, but I don't think he's going to lay out his entire plan, right? Like all the theoreticals in place, what's going to be his determining hypotheticals. <laughs> that was my yeah. Harbaugh drop. <laughs> but like, you know, is Kyle Shanahan going to, is it, is it going to be about Trey Lance's long-term development and getting him reps now so he can be really good in 2022 and 2023 or is this like, man, we got to win the Super Bowl this year and Jimmy Garoppolo gives us the best chance now, even if that's a detriment to Trey Lance's timeline? That, that I think, is the most interesting aspect of all of this. 
And I don't know if he, I mean, he, he has a clear idea in his mind of what he wants Trey to be. He's got Trey Lance has to work his way into a competition before I think you can start thinking like that. Sure. Yeah. He just has to prove the basic, right? Um, but let's say that he does. Let's say that he does work his way into a competition and Garoppolo, just given the history, uh, just given his experience is clearly like the best option. If he's on a one to 10 scale, let's just say, I'm just going to use 10 just for, to make the math easy. Let's say he's a 10 and Trey Lance is a seven. The reality is maybe he's a seven and Trey's a five, but whatever. But even though you lose a little, you get some other stuff that if you're willing to adjust on the fly, right? What, what I, I've said it a few times is like a training wheels offense, right? Like RG three type. Yeah. Where you go, okay, we lose a little, but we get some other stuff and we start, you know, working towards our future. I think that's the ideal because I don't think, I I don't think they are a Super Bowl winning team with Jimmy Garoppolo necessarily this year. I think he'd have to be better. Put it this way. He'd have to be better than he was the year they actually went to the Super Bowl for them to be a Super Bowl contender. I think he'd have to be an MVP type candidate. Okay, so like a top five MVP candidate, because I think the defense is going to drop off a little bit. Now, I will say I do think their offensive. I think their skill, if they're healthy, they're better offensively than they were the Super Bowl year, just in terms of talent. Mm hmm. Um, a full year of all those guys as opposed to half a year of Emmanuel Sanders. But anyway, um, you know, so if you think you can make the playoffs with Trey Lance, then I think you do that. Cause that to me is the, it's, you're not, if you make the playoffs with Trey Lance, we won't look back on the season and go, yeah, but you could have won the Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. Because I, you know, like you said, I, I, I hadn't thought of it from an MVP standpoint, but I, but I agree. He has to be significantly better than he was the year they went to the Super Bowl. So, if you can make the playoffs with Trey Lance, then that's that is a win, and you do that. Yeah, I, I think that that's a fascinating element of it too. Like, is Kyle Shanahan going to roll into the season, or whenever you know, th- does he have plays or an offense for Trey Lance that he simply can't run with Jimmy Garoppolo? Is there some like of quarterback quarterback power stuff that he's just like dying to implement on third and two? Um, or, you know, fourth and goal or whatever. Is there stuff that he's like, I got to get Trey in there because that's going to give us the best shot. Well, Willie, everything else Garoppolo gives you experience and all of that. Do you think he would do that if Jimmy Garoppolo is the starter, but he has plays for Trey Lance? Like quarterback by committee? Not by committee necessarily, (laughs) but just a package, either a package that quarterback, you know, I guess there's two different ways to do it, right? There are, we have plays if the situation presents and then there's, on the fourth drive of the game, it's going to be yeah. Trey. I, I don't think it'd be that, but I do think it would be situational. Yeah, I I think you kind of have to, right? Because like it's like Trey Lance can be a weapon for the offense, whether he's a starting quarterback or not. I know people push back on the Taysom Hill idea, and I would think you can do a lot more with Trey Lance than you could Taysom Hill, but like. You know, the the Ravens game, that fourth down um, in that December 2019 game where they needed uh, it was like fourth and short and they had to pass the ball. Right. Even though the conditions were terrible, it was raining, it was cold, like in an ideal situation, wouldn't you rather be able to do something really creative with the running game that includes Trey Lance's legs, whether it's just using it as a threat? in zone read or you have, you know, Debo Samuel jet sweeping one way and then Raheem Mostert going the other. And then you get, you can create gaps where Trey Lance can pick up that first down. Like 
I, I do think that Trey Lance, whether he's a starting quarterback or not, is a wet could be a weapon for Kyle Shanahan that he probably should utilize. Um, but again, like, is that something because people, you know, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one, like, that's kind of a dumb thing to say. But like, is that going to be a variable of the drama? Like, no, we're committing to Jimmy. He's our starter. The gimmicky stuff with Trey, we're just going to hold off on that. You know, like, these are all questions I'm dying to, I'm dying to know the answers. Of. And, and I, we're not going to get the answers until the games come, which is, you know, the interesting part of it. But um, I don't know. Would you do, would you use Trey Lance in in that Taysom Hill role if he wasn't the starter early on? Yeah, I mean, how many uh, short answers? Yes. Uh, how many snaps does Taysom play? Like, I don't know if I'd use him quite as much as they use Taysom Hill. Yeah, but yeah, the short answer is yes. I would use him now. You know, part of that was like Taysom Hill would be coming off the game. Off uh, Taysom Hill would be coming onto the field. You're taking Drew Brees off of the field. Right. Now, twenty twenty Drew Brees is not, you know, the usual Drew Brees. But I, I still think I don't let me I'll pull it up here. But Taysom Hill's passing numbers are pretty abysmal, right? <laughs> like, I don't think people realize that they were he uh, buh, buh, buh. as a passer last year. He was where's my attempts. Well, last year he was is this right? 73 percent. Maybe it was coming into last year. He, yeah. So coming into last year, he had completed six passes. Yeah. Right. Last year, he threw the ball a lot more. Um, I don't know if you ended up with 121 attempts, but he had to start games, too. So yeah, 7.8 yards per attempt isn't isn't great. You know, I but look, Trey Lance is a better passer than Taysom Hill. Like, yeah. yeah, we're being Taysom is super unique, but he's not a guy that you should compare anybody else to, um, especially quarterbacks. But yes, short answer is yes. I would use Trey Lance strategically at minimum this year. Yeah. And. I would expect Kyle Shanahan to do that. I, I would expect him to do it. Um, if he's drawn up plays on Jed York's plane on the way back from Justin Fields' pro day, you know, and part of this is let's, if not, if Garoppolo's playing great, okay, but let's get, let's just let, let's help Trey Lance understand what it's like to run out there uh, in Seattle in a in third down and one, you know, yeah. at the plus 40 and uh, the crowd's going crazy. Yeah. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It'll, yeah, that, that'll be fascinating. So let's let's dive into the Julio Jones discussion because it's something you guys have done a few times on, on YouTube <laughs> and on the pod. A few times. Um, and we did it on... Um, we did it a little bit uh, at OTAs on Wednesday. 
Yeah. So I early on, I was very much in on the idea, right? Because you can get Julio Jones. He's kind of a distressed asset. It's a little bit similar to Trent Williams in that it's an elite player at an important position that you're probably not going to have to give up a first round pick for. Um, I had mentioned to you guys a two and a four. I think I've said it on this podcast and on Twitter. I think that would make sense, even though the 49ers draft capital being what it is after the Trey Lance trade. One thing I've heard um, from somebody in the league since is that the issue with Julio Jones and, and giving up a lot for him, particularly if you're a team developing a young quarterback, is that at this point in his career, availability during practice Uh, might be an issue like coming Mm. off the hamstring injury last year he's not a guy who's going to practice three days a week right he might practice two days which is really like a practice and a half because Fridays are typically just walkthroughs so in terms of like building chemistry if you're developing a young quarterback that might be a little bit uh, of a you know a tough sell an awkward situation what however you want to put it because chemistry and timing is going to be so important. Now you do have the advantage of Julio Jones having played in Kyle Shanahan's offense before, but if you are playing Trey Lance, maybe that's a sticky situation. If you're playing Jimmy Garoppolo, then maybe it's easier to incorporate Julio Jones um, despite that lack of practice time. If he's not healthy enough to be out there three days a week. Um, So, you know, I, I think, I, I that's probably the reason why Julio Jones isn't going to go for a first round pick, despite um, what's been reported. Um, I find it notable that, you know, the Falcons have, you know, reportedly have had had an offer for a first round pick for Julio, but June 1st has come and gone and that trade has not happened yet. So I'm a little bit dubious about whether or not a first is actually on the table, but the, I think the reason why he's not going to go for a first has a lot to do with the injury history, not just the fact that he only played in nine games last year, but just during the week, going to a new team, practice time, being available to learn the offense, build chemistry with the guys around you, that might be problematic. Just given, in your opinion, given where the 49ers are at and who's coaching the team and the foundation that's already in place and all of that, you know, where, where do you stand on the idea of adding Julio Jones and what do you think an appropriate price would be for the 49ers? You just made me think uh, a few years ago, I used to do the Sacramento Kings pre and post game show mm-hmm. on Comcast with uh, one year it was Bobby Jackson was the analyst. And then the next year was Bobby and Doug Christie. Yeah. And Bobby told the story, told me the story one time about like, he bought an Aston Martin. <laughs> he bought like, you know, it was like, I, I don't know some it was like two hundred thousand dollars whatever somebody listening might know better what the sticker price for an aston martin is but it was like a hundred and eighty two hundred thousand dollar car and like a month in he realized that it was a pain in the ass to maintain like it was mm-hmm. very expensive it broke all the time and he got rid of it after a month <laughs> yeah and, and i don't even know what the loss on a returning an aston martin or reselling an aston martin a month later is but he lost a lot of money a beautiful and, car though Beautiful car. Would I look mean, great on Instagram. Look great in, in all the Bond movies, right? But um, when you, it's inter- that's an interesting insight that you shared because when you look at Julio Jones's game log, as all of us have, you go, hey, with the exception of last year in 2013, he basically plays a full season. I thought a piece of information yesterday, driving home from the Niners uh, OTA, I was listening to Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Books. Bucky Brooks's podcast and DJ said 
that he's heard from people in the league that the GPS numbers on Julio have declined. His speed has declined over the last three years based on the GPS data that teams have access to. Um, and that's interesting because when I've watched him, you know, obviously we watched him hurt last year. I still think I, I, the fact that he basically has played a full season every year until last year for the previous, what, six, seven years. I still think he's a really productive player. Like if you get Julio Jones in 2021, I still think you're getting a really good player. Agreed. My, my problem is, is first and foremost, the draft capital. And then when I hear the GPS data, the draft capital for a player, you are you going to have to replace him again? Like it's great if he's cost effective in two years, but maybe he's not cost effective in two years. And that's, a, and we're not even talking about the contract extension that I would anticipate he wants at a larger number. So if you told me as we're recording this breaking news, Julio Jones has signed or has been traded to the 49ers, I'd go phenomenal. Like awesome. <laughs> Good you know? for content. Yeah. It'd be great for content. And I do think it would make their team better. Like, yeah, because one thing I've said a lot is this team is going to be so dependent is so dependent. Like most teams are on its best players being healthy, George Kittle and Debo Samuel and Brandon. Ayuk, like those guys got to be healthy. That's the key to this whole thing this year, offensively for them and solid offensive line play. But uh, you could argue the counterpoint is, yeah, man, well, that's sounds all well and good, but the last two years tell us you're not getting 16, 17 games out of those three guys. Ayuk, you know, it's only played a year, but history tells us that Debo Samuel doesn't play every game. So you can go ahead and hope for that, or you can prepare for it not to happen. And I, and that would be, that'd be a fair point. So um, I think it's tough, especially when you include a second and a four, I think we were joking at practice yesterday, like, well, the second round pick could be Dante Pettis. Yeah. Right. Or, it could be Fred Warner. So right. how do you view a second round pick? Yeah. It's um you view it like it's Fred Warner. Yeah. For for me, but before, you know, really hear like hearing what I heard about the practice stuff. And um, you know, for me, like you it, it's it's a great point about injuries, right? Because if you have Julio Jones, then you just increase or I guess decrease the likelihood of just being completely decimated by injuries to your skill guys like week in and week out just having another elite guy like if you have all your guys great you're going to be really tough to stop offensively if Debo Samuel's out and George Kittle's out but you still have Julio and Ayuk like you could probably put together a winning game plan with those guys right but if Debo Samuel and Kittle are out and all you have is Ayuk you know there's a good chance you lose that game even to an inferior team because you know like unless Richie James or Jawan Jennings or Travis Benjamin, one of these guys, Jalen Hurd, unless these guys step up and proves to be a valuable contributor, like it's going to be hard to win with George Kittle and Debo Samuel potentially out. And if you have Julio, that's just another guy potentially as an insurance policy to say, all right, no matter what, you know, we, we have four guys that we really need to rely on and we can be really tough to beat when we have all four, but say we only have two, if one of them's Julio, you're going to have a better shot. And just like the margin for error is going to be so thin because yeah. you only have one buy in the playoffs and the NFC West is so good. And there's the idea that, well, if you don't get Julio, then maybe the Seahawks or Packers do. Right. So like, or maybe you end up having to play Julio in the Super Bowl if you make it that far, if he goes to an AFC team. Right. So yeah. there's, which if that happens, 
yeah, you, you deal do the with right it. thing. <laughs> you deal with it. But I, I think it's fascinating because there's certainly a scenario where it could work, but there's also a scenario where it's it just blows up. Um, and I don't know, like I don't know which way I would lean now, but I'm sure Kyle Shanahan would have a better would have a better would be able to make a better prediction on how that would go with Julio. But I also think it's fascinating that they didn't draft a receiver for the first time since 2002. And like, what, what is that a sign of? Is that a sign that they believe Jalen Hurd's going to be fine? Has Juwan Jennings just been awesome this off season and none of us have really seen it. Like, do they think Mohamed Sanu is like going to have some career resurgence and get his speed back? Like, is there, what are we missing in that, in their decision to not draft a receiver? Because I think they really needed to. Um, and I'm just surprised they didn't. If they get, if they're the most injured team in the league this year, will we say that's the second year in a row of being unlucky, or that they failed to prepare for something that just happened to them? Right? Yeah. Like you could argue they're unlucky. You're, I mean, whatever. Your house floods two years in a row. Do we go? You're unlucky twice, or you should have done something about the pipes. Right. If you didn't fix anything, but but all you did was take the water out. Um, you know, I think what they need is. 65% of their completions have to go to Kittle, Ayuk, and Debo. Yeah. Based on the history of them, the history, like the Chiefs as an example last year, I, I used 16-game numbers, but we can also use percentages for 17-game numbers. But, you know, basically what Kittle was a couple of years ago was 26% of the receptions went to him, which is that's a, that's a Travis Kelsey-level production. That's what that is. So then you need Ayuk and Debo to catch 20%. This is part of losing Kendrick Bourne, right? Is where do you, how do you replace that production? And it's, it's, there is a projection here because Kendrick Bourne's 13% of the catches. So who's getting those catches? Is it, yeah, does Richie James get a little more? Does Ross Dwelly get a little more? Does, I, I even when you account for the running backs and you give, you throw 6% of the catches to, uh, use check and Mostert and Trey Sermon, let's say, get 9% combined. Uh, and you throw 15 balls to Wayne Gallman. You, you know, you, you still come up short. If you go through all the numbers, base it on the production kind of, I did the average of the last couple of years for them. And I just took the middle number. They still come up short. If someone doesn't step up, if all these guys are healthy. So you, it's a two-part thing. And I've debated with people, whether I, I think most people, I, I probably think they're not as needy as most people do at receiver, but I'm starting to, to wonder if I'm wrong about that based on the injury history that they are a little more needy than I think, because it's, it'd be, it's foolish by me to go, okay, this is what you need for my Debo and Kittle. And if they get hurt, then what? Because you don't really have a then what at this point. So I, I look again, I think it's really easy to make the case for Julio based on do you need to win the Super Bowl this year? No. But do you need to be good? Yes. And I, I also think you look around, how do the Seahawks operate? <laughs> yeah. How do the Rams operate? We keep giving, you know, we keep making fun of them. Where do all their, where's all this money come from? But they keep making it where the money's not like the money. You, you said it, you're right. Like Parag, the money, they'll figure the money can be maneuvered. Yeah. They can figure that Finessed. Um, so I don't think it's that hard to make the case. If you look at it, like, is your team going to be better or worse if you trade for Julio Jones today? 
It's going to be better Much this year. Better. And all you can really live for is this year in the NFL. And it was, it was interesting too, that all this Julio stuff is coming up at the same time, the 49ers were down so many receivers at OTAs. And, you know, the team said that, you know, Brandon Ayuk has a, I think it's a groin injury. Um, Debo Samuel was away for personal reasons. Uh, Travis Benjamin's working through something. Richie James is working through something. So the top receivers yesterday were Muhammad Sanu and Trent Sherfield, who's like a special teams guy they signed. Juwan Jennings looked like one of the top receivers. Yeah, Juwan Jennings ha- had a good practice. Um, so maybe he's the guy that that we're, we're missing on right now and he'll really pop in the preseason. But yeah, I the Debo thing is interesting to me. A lot of people, you know, and maybe this is just people on Twitter, but a lot of people are like, well, you got to factor in the contract you're going to give Debo. And I'm like, I don't know if Debo's really earned a new contract yet or earned that second contract based off two seasons. He looks, when he's healthy, he looks like a really valuable weapon to you. But he had college issues. He had injury issues in college. He plays a very physical brand. A lot of his catches last year were running plays Mm. where he has to run through defensive linemen and linebackers, which is much more physically taxing than just being tackled by cornerbacks and safeties on passing plays. So can you count on Debo Samuel to be healthy for a significant portion of the season to the point where he's not a detriment to you? Like, I don't know if you can. So that to me is why I think the 49ers are a little bit more thin at receiver. And you're also counting on Kittle to be your number one guy. Like Kittle missed half the games last year, foot, knee, and he's going to have a shoulder injury basically through uh, until he gets it fixed, which he said he's not going to do until he's done playing football. Yeah, it's. I think I think you're right uh, as it relates to Debo in terms of the premature contract conversation. I love him. Yeah, but I would also love to see him get some production going down the field away from traffic. Now, part of that has been necessity. Yeah, like he's like sometimes you watch the last year you'd watch the 49ers with him and it's like, is this a college team that has one playmaker and the whole game plan is let's just feed this guy? And at times the answer was yes. That's another argument to make for you elongate in theory, his career, you just keep him healthier if he doesn't have to do as much, right? Yeah. So you go, yeah, great, Debo, 20% of the receptions. Well, he'll get 65 to 75 catches this year. Well, okay, but what if you got him at 55 and – or maybe let's just say 65, but they're just different. You just want them to be different. I think adding Julio is another part of the argument is, okay, you're helping out these other guys who do have – they've carried a lot of weight on their shoulders. They've carried a lot of weight on their shoulders. and. Uh, are you shortening careers or at least usability by relying on them as much as you've relied on them right now? It feels like the answer is yes. Yeah. Because you're, because he plays hard. Like he plays like most of these running backs. Like if I said, watch Debo on some of these run plays and I didn't show you any passing plays, you'd be like, ah, sweet. One cut runner. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Physical, but he's a receiver. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the the transition, um, and this is more of a media conversation. But but what you and John have done, you know, transitioning to YouTube, and there are other other Forty ers media people on on YouTube now these days too, in, including Grant Cohn, and um, I think Dave Lombardi has one too. Um, but just you know, I think you guys do a really good job of just like regular content, and I I, I always you know I have my scope of things. Um, but it's, 
it's not all like the way I view things and the way I cover them. There's a lot of like implicit knowledge that like I know, but I, I don't always feel like I know what the viewers or what the readers know. So like you say something and they'll and it's not the subject of the story. And it might be a little anecdote, be like, what? Wait, where was that? Did I miss that? It's like I'm sometimes I find myself reading and writing about the team and I'm so embedded in it that it's like I, I, lo- I lose the perspective of sort of the, the average fan and what people outside see and what they consume. And I think what you and John do an excellent job of is bridging that gap um, because you guys have the experience and expertise, but you also do a really good job of just making it relatable and talking about the important, the important aspects uh, of each subject. I'm just curious, like how, how that transition has gone for you guys to, you know, the podcast and YouTube medium from the, the radio show that you guys used to have, like how, what have been the challenges? Um, what have been um, like the rewarding aspects of it? Just how, how, have, how have those things gone for you guys? Yeah. I mean, it's, we started doing it in 2016. So it's been, you know, you're swinging that pick a lot, three days, four days a week. <laughs> right for you know at the end of 2016 i guess and i think a lot of the stuff that you're talking about comes from for me for sure you know the 10,000 hours plus of of doing radio shows and solo shows and doing a show in fresno for many years and then coming to the bay area at the end of 2012 and then doing you know radio a solo show um for 2013 and then john uh, leaving the NFL and, and joining in 2014, we started doing the radio show and it's just, it really is hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of just kind of honing. And I think you nailed it. Like the number one thing you're trying to do is you're not, you don't want to, you can't be everything to everybody, but you do want your stuff to work for as many people as it can work for. I was listening to the flying coach podcast that it's now like season two. Remember season one yeah, was yeah, yeah. Pete Carroll and Steve Kerr. And now season two is Peter Schrager and Sean McVay. And um, they had a, a question for McVay about, you know, rep- reporters. Some people are really deep into the film and some people are not. You know, does he prefer to get questions from people who are people that aren't? Does he roll his eyes, whatever? And actually, he made McVeigh's pretty savvy in terms of understanding. He's done a little bit of it, uh, media stuff, but he's very savvy at understanding it. Like when you listen to him talk, you go, this guy could definitely I mean, obviously, he's a huge star, but could definitely transition and be really good at TV. And one thing he communicated was he understood that when you're watching a game on television, there's all these different people that are watching this game, right? You got millions of people watching. There's the Chris Biedermans who have watched the all 22. And then there's the not Chris Biedermans who have never heard of the all 22 and don't really even watch every game and are casually involved in the storylines. And maybe all they really know is something, somebody else at the, on the couch that, you know, their neighbor's house told them. So how do you do something for everybody? How do you talk about, you know, um, two point attempt percentages and whether or not a team should go for two and also talk about some human interest story that like, I always laugh when, when there's a storyline about a person that gets, that people feel like it's overplayed. Um, 
I don't, I can't even think of one off the top of my head, but it'd be like, uh, Oh, Oh, Mike Shanahan is Kyle Shanahan's dad. Thanks. You know, the Twitter loves to react <laughs> like that. Like, Oh, Oh, l- let me guess. They're going to tell us that Mike Shanahan is Kyle Shanahan's dad. Cool. <laughs> but like that stuff's important too. Like there, there are a lot of people. I think we get so into the weeds that there are a lot of people that if you put Kyle Shanahan on the screen and then put Mike Shanahan on the screen, some would go, Oh, I know it's crazy to say we think everybody knows it, but not everybody watches every press conference or watches every game or really follows it all that closely. And I think from an NFL perspective, that's why the NFL is so strong. The NFL is so strong because you don't have to be a hardcore fan to tune in on Sundays and watch. And I think some of it is manufactured by the league in a very positive way. Some of it's just pure luck in that their sport. It's hard to follow baseball. It's every day. Basketball they might play on Thursday, Friday. They might play Saturday, Sunday. They might football. I know, even if I don't watch Thursday night football, I know on Sunday that NFL games run, even if I don't know a thing, if I've never had a, I don't know anything, but I know that there's football games on Sunday. It's like so easy to consume. Mm-hmm. And so I've always, you know, and, and it, when, as John started doing the radio show, like, I think we've always, to me, that's the, it, it's a fine line. Cause you want something for everybody, but that's always what I've tried to remember. And like when I do college football games, I'll go in reading message boards. Cause I are like listening to a team podcast. Cause I want to know how they feel. But then you remember most of your audience is not that person, right? Like a stadium sells a stadium does not sell out when it sells out full of people who woke up that day to check who the 46 active player, 48 active player, whatever the number is now, right. what is it now? Four, 48, 46. 46. I mean, I don't know what it is for college, but. NFL yeah, well, for college, it's a million. Like yeah. for a home game, you can suit up. Ohio State has 900 people suited up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the top five quarterbacks in the class on the roster. But by the way, have you seen the guy that's going to Ohio State that like throws sidearm? Apparently, he's the number one quarterback. Yeah, in the I did. He I has did like see a that. bleached mullet. Yeah. Um, That'll be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, But that's most people. Most people are not. Now, do most people that listen to a podcast every day, do those people care? Yeah, most of those people care. But you still want to capture. You want it to be consumable for a massive audience, but still interesting to the most hardcore fan. Um, and so what? how do you do that? Well, there's, you know, you do some stuff that's for everybody and some stuff that's for just a few people. And you hope that for the everybody's, if something's a little too granular, maybe they'll pick up on it because, you know, they find the other stuff interesting. And for the people that really want the granular stuff, maybe they'll listen to the other stuff because, you know, it's just entertaining to them. Or maybe they don't listen to everything. And that's okay, too. Like, listen to 20 minutes of it. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, that's fine. Like, that's the beauty of the stuff we're doing now, like this, the podcast, is the listener is totally in control of time. Like, for the history of media, with the exception of printed content, the consumer was not in control of the time. Like you had to consume it when it was on. Then, DV, then, you know, DVRs came along and the consumer was a little more in control and they, they made some unskippable commercials in the, in the TV world. So you're a little less in control podcast. You know, you're totally in control when you listen to it, how long you listen to it. I don't like this guest. I don't like this topic, whatever. Um, so that's a very long winded answer, but uh, yeah, that's, that's how I generally have always kind of thought about it. And then you do it so much that you don't really, think about it you just think becomes routine yeah well um i think i've taken enough of your time um you guys like i said you guys do a great job i I really enjoy it um and uh you know you and middlecoff have uh sort of various staples now 
like it's it you're coming up on a decade even though it's not the radio show anymore your reach is probably larger than it was i know you're talking about you know sending merch to other states and and things like that so so that's a pretty cool thing to see um but so well has it been has it been a decade for you guys in in the bay area media scene now so i i'm uh i moved to december of 2012 okay is when i came to the barrier to do you know moved up here uh but obviously i've been you know being from davis right you know we got knbr there so we would you know when i would be in the car with you know we'd always be listening to this i'd always listen to the razor and mr t in those days but um (laughs) you know uh and come to the bit you know i remember coming to we'd get out early on thursdays and go to an a's game and that kind of thing but um yeah almost a decade well, good for you guys. You guys are killing it. Well, Keep I appreciate the, uh, the kind words. It's good to have you. I appreciate your content. Yeah. I mean, it's you. good to be with you, but I appreciate yeah. your content as well. There are a lot of people who do a lot of good work that feeds, um, you know, when we're sitting at our desk and screenshotting tweets from uh, minor practice. Yeah. We appreciate that. I secret, <laughs> I, when I, when I tune into the videos, I secretly hope to, uh, to, <laughs> to see some of my stuff on there. Not going to lie. Well, we'll be using Biederman says <laughs> that Julio doesn't practice. That'll be, I'll go make that video right now. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, so check out, uh, the Haberman and middle cop podcast and the YouTube channel, wherever you guys consume your content. And, uh, we will talk to you guys next week, um, with more OTA stuff that I think, um, there's going to be one more practice next week and then mandatory OTAs a week after that. Maybe Haberman and Middlecoff will parachute in again, hopefully so, well. so we can uh, <laughs> we, we can have more to talk about. But, Guy, thanks again, and uh, we will talk to you guys soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.